When you think of Jesus, what image comes to your mind? Do you picture him sitting at the Last Supper with the disciples? Or maybe with his arms outstretched as he calms the winds and waves of the stormy sea? Or how about sitting at the right hand of the Father with the look of joy on his face? Welcome to Through the Bible. Well, it's that final picture of the joyful Jesus that our teacher, Dr. J. Vernon McGee, talks about today as the Bible bus takes us to Psalm 21 and 22. I'm Steve Schwetz, and before we set off on another great adventure in God's Word, I want to share a couple of letters from listeners of our Hindi language broadcast. Those are in India. First, we have Rekha, who writes, It is amazing how the Lord has brought me this far. I became a widow at a very young age. Because of this, I was depressed and struggled so much. When I remarried, I was cheated on and not loved. My life continued to be miserable. In the midst of all this, I was introduced to Christ, and I came to know about your program. After a year, I cried to the Lord and asked for forgiveness. I was persecuted and not allowed to go to church, but my faith was not shaken. I now live separately with my son, and today I am active in the church. Thank you for this impactful program. Next, we've got an email from a listener named Ritu. Ten years ago, my father started listening to your program. At that time, we were going through financial loss, and the Word of God comforted us and gave us peace. Witnessing all this, I began to have faith in God. It has been four years that I have studied with you two. There is no church nearby for fellowship. It is only through this program that we are growing in faith. And then our last note comes from Rakish, who says, I came to know about God through my neighbor and started going to church. But I was leading a mixed lifestyle. But God never left me. In April 2021, I started your programs, and I was convicted of my dual life. God's word encouraged me to recommit my life. Now I listen to you and I am growing in the knowledge of the word of God. Well, aren't these great stories? They're from people just like us all over the world. Our world prayer team, by the way, is today praying in Southern Asia. And then next week, we're going to travel on our knees through Eastern Asia. So we're asking, will you join us as we pray for brothers and sisters just like these all around the world? Sign up at ttb.org forward slash pray to receive the daily email with specific prayer prompts. Again, that's ttb.org forward slash pray. You'll be glad you did. Let's give this time to the Lord. Heavenly Father, thank you for the work that you are doing in the hearts of your people all over the world, including in our own. Use your word today, Lord, to refresh and refine us so that we may become more like your son, Jesus. It's in his name we pray. Amen. Now let's get ready for our study of Psalm 21 and 22 on Through the Bible with Dr. J. Vernon McGee. Now, friends, in the 21st Psalm, we've labeled this a Messianic Psalm. Now, it's not so called a Messianic Psalm in the list that I gave at the beginning. And it is not quoted as such verbatim as referring to Christ. But I don't think you can read it without coming to the judgment that this refers to him. Now, the fact of the matter is, Israel, from the very beginning, said this psalm spoke of the Messiah, treated it that way. For instance, the Targum, which is the Chaldean paraphrase of the Old Testament, and the Talmud teach that the king mentioned in this psalm is the Messiah. And the great Talmudic scholar, Rabbi Solomon Isaacy, known by the name of Rashi, and he was born in 1040 A.D. Now, he endorses this interpretation that it speaks of the Messiah, but he suggested 
that it should be given up on account of Christians making use of this psalm as an evidence that Jesus of Nazareth is the Messiah. And may I say to you, I think that is a very good testimony that this psalm does speak of the Lord Jesus. Now, this is a psalm that is important in another direction. This is a psalm that has been used by the liturgical churches that observe certain days, you know. They observe, for instance, Ascension Day. And they use this psalm as commemorating that day. Actually, the return of the Lord to glory and his presence there as our great high priest. And I don't know why we fundamentalists haven't paid more attention to the ascension of Christ. We observe Christmas, we observe Easter, and the day of Pentecost, a great many observe that. But how about the ascension? And to me, that is a great day. And I'm of the opinion that we probably ought to pay more attention to it. Well, we can in this psalm because it speaks of the ascension of Christ. And we see the king in heaven here, and we see that judgment is coming upon those that have rejected him. It is a psalm of David, so-called in the inspired text, and it includes also his coming reign as king here upon the earth. And the psalm undoubtedly was used in the temple worship. Someone has said, in fact, it was a liberal scholar, Dr. Peroni, that each Jewish monarch was but a feeble type of Israel's true king and all the hopes and aspirations of pious hearts, however they might have for their immediate object, the then reigning monarch, whether David himself or one of his sons, still looked upon these to him who should be David's lord as well as his son. That, by the way, is quite a testimony. Now, will you notice this psalm, the way it opened? Psalm 21, verse 1. The king shall joy in thy strength, O Lord, and in thy salvation how greatly shall he rejoice. Now, this is a psalm that very candidly could refer to David, and I think it does refer to him. But I think the primary interpretation it refers to the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, it begins with, "...shall joy in thy strength, O Lord, and in thy salvation." Now, it was said of him, you remember, that it was for the joy that was set before him that he endured the cross and despised the shame. And what? He ascended into heaven. He sat down at the right hand of the Father yonder in heaven. This speaks of the joy of our Lord in having wrought out our salvation for us. And he rejoices in the power and strength that's been bestowed upon him who's gone to heaven, angels and principalities being made subject to him. And today he's able to save to the uttermost those who come unto God through him. This is a wonderful psalm. Now, you'll notice verse 2. Thou hast given him his heart's desire. His prayer's been answered, by the way. The desire of his heart has been given to him. 
And he says, you remember in his great high priestly prayer where he turned in his report to God, his final report in John 17, glorify thy son that thy son may glorify thee. Now this prayer, all his other requests, they've been answered as we see in this prayer. This is the prayer of the ascension. He's at God's right hand. Thou hast given him his heart's desire and hast not withheld the request of his lips. He could say when he was here on this earth, Father, I will that they whom thou hast given me be with me where I am, that they may behold my glory. And that's going to be answered someday. We're going to be with him. And he came down to this earth to make that possible. And we're told here, and hast not withheld the request of his lips. Selah. This is something you ought to meditate about. Think on for a few minutes, by the way. Now, let's move on into the psalm. And as we do, I'm going to lift out now this other translation that we've referred to from time to time. And will you notice verse 4? He asks life of thee, thou gavest it him. Length of days, forever and ever. His glory is great in thy salvation. Honor and majesty hast thou laid upon him. For thou hast made him most blessed forever. Thou dost delight him with joy in thy presence. Now he came to give his life, a ransom for many down here. And you find him in humiliation. And you find him pleading again and again in prayer. And we find him yonder in the garden of Gethsemane. And the psalmist, again, when we get over to Psalm 102, verses 23 and 24, says, He weakened my strength in the way. He shortened my days. I said, Oh, my God, take me not away in the midst of my days. Thy days are throughout all generations. You see, he asked for life. He died in the very prime of life, 33 years of age. And he prayed, you remember, let this cup pass. But we're told here in Hebrews 5, 7, who in the days of his flesh, when he'd offered up prayers and supplications, was strong crying and tears unto him that was able to save him out of death, and he was heard in that he feared. Why? How was he heard, friends? He died. How was he heard? God raised him from the dead, and he now lives in his glorified human body forever and ever, and he's right now at God's right hand. That is, he hadn't come by the time you hear this program. That's where he is. And his glory is great in thy salvation. Oh, the glory that should accrue to him because he saved you and saved me. Now, we move on in this. In verse 7 here, we read, For the king trusteth in the Lord, and through the mercy of the Most High he shall not be moved. We want to read on now in this other translation. I pick up here at verse 8, by the way. It says, Thine hand shall find out all thine enemies. Now, he not only is a God of salvation, but because of his death upon the cross for sinners, those that have become his enemies, he knows them. Thy hand shall find out all thine enemies. Thy right hand shall find out those that hate thee. Thou shalt make them as a fiery oven in the time of thy coming. 
You don't believe in hell? Bible teaches it, my friend. You're in disagreement with the Bible. Man came to me and said, I don't believe in hell. And I said to him, you know, you're in disagreement with the Bible. He said, I don't care. I don't believe in it. Well, I said, you will someday. You're going to believe in it someday. You better believe in it now, my friend. In fact, someday you'll know whether it's true or not. Now, hell's not a pleasant subject. Who said it was? God says he does not take any delight in the loss. God's strange work is called judgment. His wonderful work is salvation. He wants to save. But if you won't have it, his way, his salvation, then there's nothing but judgment that remains. Listen to him here. Thou shalt make them as a fiery oven in the time of thy coming. Jehovah shall swallow them up in his wrath, and the fire shall devour them. Friends, that's very clear. I think fire is fire, and judgment is judgment. Listen, their fruit shalt thou destroy from the earth, and their seed from among the children of men. For they intended evil against thee. They devised mischief, unable to perform. For thou wilt make them turn their back. With thy strings wilt thou aim at their faces. Be thou exalted in thy strength, Jehovah. We will sing and praise thy power. This is a marvelous song. We saw the cross and the sufferings in this psalm. And he did it for the joy that was set before him because he could save you and me. And his prayers have been answered. Now the king's in heaven. We see him there crowned with glory and honor. He's there in behalf of his people. He's there in unspeakable joy and waiting for his manifestation in kingly glory. I'd like to give you another picture of the Lord Jesus today. A man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. Somebody says in every picture I've ever seen of him is a solemn, serious-looking Christ. I don't believe that's way he looks today. I don't know how he looks, and I don't care for the pictures. May I say to you, he's right under God's right hand right now, and his heart's just filled with joy. And he wants to communicate that joy to you and me today. Oh, that you and I might get a glimpse of him today. And his enemies conspired against him when he was down here, and he lent himself to those and we find that his enemies here conspire against him. They attempt to get to him. And though he's there today in unspeakable joy, and he's waiting for his manifestation in wonderful glory. Now, he was on earth, and he was trusting in Jehovah. His enemies conspired against him. And as that vision in Revelation you remember, it's in Revelation 12, the dragon wanted to devour the man-child. Well, now that dragon is Satan. The man-child is Christ, and the woman is Israel. But the child, we're told, was caught up to God and to his throne, and he was destined to rule all nations with the rod of iron. That's where he is right now. You see that Satan, if he'd stayed down here in the weakness of humanity... Satan would have destroyed him, but he's been caught up to heaven. This is a great psalm, you see, of the ascension of the Lord Jesus. He finished our salvation for us, and he cannot be moved, we're told here. He cannot be moved. 
Verse 7, he shall not be moved. What a glorious, wonderful picture. And you have picture judgment. And this is not the only one. It's in Revelation. I tell you, it's a pretty serious picture that's given to us there. And then Paul mentions in Second Thessalonians, the first chapter, listen to this. In Second Thessalonians 1, verse 7, And to you who are troubled, rest with us when the Lord Jesus shall be revealed from heaven with his mighty angels in flaming fire, taking vengeance on them that know not God and that obey not the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ, who shall be punished with everlasting destruction from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of his power when he shall come to be glorified in his saints and to be admired in all them that believe because our testimony among you was believed in that day. What a picture that you have here of him coming in judgment for his enemies. My friend, this is a glorious psalm of the ascension of Christ. And it is. And by the way, what is your relationship to him today? If he's not your Savior, if you haven't trusted the one who came down here to die, and he today is filled with joy up yonder because he wrought out your salvation and mine. Now, if you want to turn your back on it, then judgment is coming. This very psalm of the ascension makes it very clear of the wonderful, glorious grace of God in Christ and in that same one judgment someday. Now, that brings us now to probably the greatest psalm of all in this section that we've been in. Up to now, we've come, I think, to the greatest psalm, and this is Psalm 22. We have this, as we've said, it's in book form, and I consider it personally the greatest one of all. When I come to this psalm, I feel like I'm standing on holy ground. It's the psalm of the cross. Now, Psalm 1, we had a portrait of Christ, his character, his life, and his practice. But here we have the passion of Christ in depth. Psalm 22 is an x-ray that penetrates right down into his thoughts. We see the anguish of his passion, and his soul is laid bare in this psalm. Now, in the Gospels, the four Gospels, you have the historical fact of his death recorded. And you have some of the events which surrounded his crucifixion and attended his death. They are placed there in the canon of Scripture. But, friends, his thought life is given in detail here in Psalm 22. You see what went on in his heart and soul and mind while he's hanging there upon the cross when you read this psalm. It always was my custom as pastor of a church to have services on Good Friday. And most of the time, we took the seven last sayings of Christ from the cross. And I think that I've heard over 100 men take these seven words and develop them. And to me, it was always a spiritual feast just to see how each man would develop his subject. Now, I got through that many new and profitable thoughts. Now, you may get an idea when we get into this psalm that we're having a Good Friday service, but there'll be one radical departure. And note this, because we'll have to wait till next time to develop this. Instead of standing beneath the cross 
and looking up and listening to him. In this psalm, we're going to hang with him on the cross. And we're going to view the crucifixion of Christ from the cross as he saw it. We're going to look beneath, see what went on around that cross. We're going to see also what went on in his own soul as we see him hanging there, suspended between earth and heaven. You see, we were there, actually, on the cross. He was made sin for us who knew no sin, that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. And Peter put it like this, 1 Peter 2.24, who his own self bear our sins in his own body on the tree, that we being dead to sins might live under righteousness by whose stripes we're healed. Now, notice how this psalm opens. It opens with an alarm that is amazing. Let me read verse 1. My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? Why art thou so far from helping me from the words of my roaring? Now, in the first part of this psalm, in fact, all the way down in this psalm, Through verse 21, we have the humiliation of Christ. From verse 22 through verse 31, the rest of the psalm, we have the exaltation of Christ, the humiliation and exaltation. Now, this psalm, therefore, in the humiliation, it opens with that plaintive and desperate cry of this forlorn man who's forsaken of God. You know, there's been an attempt made to play down the stark reality and the horrendous tragedy that it looked like was taking place on that cross. And they attempt to destroy that horrendous fact and the bitter truth that he was forsaken of God. I have an article, and it says that actually Jesus was not forsaken. They translate it like this in the Peshitta. My God, my God, for this was I kept. To begin with, the Peshitta's not a reputable manuscript to use anyway, and it would not be the one to use. This is what he said, My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? What a picture that we have here. And will you notice we have here the human sufferings of the Lord Jesus. He bare our sins in his own body, on a tree. This is a picture that I think you can pick up in the epistle to the Hebrews, for instance. You could go back to the second chapter of Hebrews. Probably I should do that. Let me read verse 9 there. But we see Jesus, who's made a little lower than the angels, for the suffering of death, crowned with glory and honor, that he by the grace of God should taste death for every man. And then when you drop down to verse 14, I read language like this, for as much then as the children are partakers of flesh and blood. He likewise took part of the same, that through death he might destroy him that had the power of death, that is the devil, deliver them who through fear of death were all their lifetime subject to bondage. We see him here, for in that he himself hath suffered being tested He's able to succor or help them that are tested. This is a picture of him as he's hanging there on the cross. And this is a desperate cry. And in that desperate and despairing hour, 
He was abandoned of God. No place to turn. He couldn't turn to heaven at this moment, and he couldn't turn to earth. No place to turn. Now the question, why did God forsake him? We'll see that next time. Until then, may God richly bless you, my beloved. As we break from our daily study for the weekend, I sure hope that you'll hop aboard the Bible bus for Dr. McGee's Sunday sermon, Storms in the New Creation. It's based on Psalm 29. This never-before-aired message is sure to be a favorite. If you want to listen online, download our app or find a local radio station that carries the Sunday sermon, visit ttb.org or call us at 1-800-65-BIBLE if we can help you out. Again, you can reach us at 1-800-65-BIBLE and by email at biblebus at ttb.org or better yet, you can find what you're looking for at ttb.org. And be sure to meet me back here next time and invite a friend to join us for more in this terrific study of Psalm 22. I'm Steve Schwetz. For all of us at Through the Bible, we're grateful that God is with us as we walk with Him today. Well, ride the Bible bus for five years and you'll be amazed at what God teaches you from his word about what it means to believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved. It's a blessing that keeps on going. That's what we believe at Through the Bible.